Now, in my experience, growth usually comes from a source of pain or discomfort, which pushes you to try something new or interrupt an old behavior simply because you come to realize that the pain of remaining the same, of remaining who you are and where you are, is far greater than the discomfort it's going to take for you to change and try something new. My intention for this show is to inspire growth within you. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the journey many have taken to drastically change their lives, this is the place to be. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow With Moin podcast. I am your host, Moin Zafar, and today I have with me Mike Cameron. Mike is an author, he's a speaker, and he's a performance coach. He wrote the book, what did you write, Mike? <laughs> Becoming a better man. Something. How, 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 to, re- how to remember your guest's bio. 101. <laughs> I'm kidding. Becoming a better man. Something's got to change. But Mike, you weren't always this. You weren't always a coach, author, or speaker. You were a very successful businessman before this, a capitalist. And something happened in your life that caused a shift. So we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We had a good we had a good chat last time we talked, so I'm looking forward to this. All right, thank you, Mike. I apologize for my rustiness. No, the, no, it's all good. The fire alarm in my building went off at like two thirty last night, and um, it was a bit a bit hectic. Anyway, let's grab back to it. So, Mike, um, I listened to your TED talk. It was very powerful, very impactful, and you talk about. Uh, something major that happened in your life in that TED Talk. So do you want to talk about that? It's um, If you're a superhero, I'd like to call it your origin story. Yes. Well, I mean, again, I, I kind of feel like my origin story goes, goes a lot further back and, and they all sort of come together, which was kind of the, the fascinating piece for me because I don't know that I would have sort of well, I, I can assure you, I, I didn't see that coming, but that was, that was kind of my, you know, I, I'd been playing around with radioactive material for a lot of years and, <laughs> and, and that event was my spider bite that, that turned me into Spider-Man, so to speak. Um, you know, and, and so that, uh, you know, I, I make light of it, but, but obviously it wasn't uh, something that, that was taken lightly. Uh, in 2015, um, I woke up with uh, my girlfriend Colleen at uh, five o'clock in the morning. She was she was a yoga instructor, uh, an artist, a, a videographer, and she she had to teach yoga at uh, at six o'clock uh, that Friday morning. And so she got up and and came around and, and said goodbye. And and I said have fun at yoga and rolled over and went back to sleep. And I uh, got up around, I don't know, 6.45 or so, came down, made some breakfast. And as was our custom, I, I shot her a text at about 10 after 7. And I said, hey, how was yoga? And got no response. And, you know, not totally out of character. And she wasn't a huge talker, but she was an incredible listener. And as a result, often got drawn into long conversations with her students and as the morning wore on and, and I didn't hear anything back, I had a meeting downtown uh, at around nine o'clock. So I headed, headed downtown and again, no text, tried calling her, no answer. And, you know, now I'm starting to feel like eh, something's just 
not sitting right. This is feeling a little out of character. And got back to my office around 11 o'clock, had a meeting, popped over to go for lunch afterwards. And uh, as, I, as I walked into the restaurant, uh, and again, still no word, I'd, I'd sent her a note, said, hey, let me know you're doing okay. I'm starting to get a little bit worried. And again, you know, I've, I've got that sort of feeling in the pit of my stomach and, and that those dueling, you know, brains like, oh, she's just tied up doing something with her kids or, you know, to, oh my God, what's going on? Um, and then that was when, as, as we walked into the, the restaurant, my phone rang and, uh, I, I looked at it, it was a blocked number and I answered it and the voice on the, on the other end of the line said, is this Mike Cameron? And I said, yes. And he said, this is constable so-and-so. And my heart just sank and I, I practically screamed into the phone. I said, is she okay? And, uh, he said, where are you? And again, I yelled, is she Okay. And he says, where are you? We're at your house. We're coming to you. So I told him where I was and, and I, I turned and I walked out the door and waited for, you know, what felt like an hour, but it was probably five or six minutes. My house wasn't, wasn't far from where we were. And um, this unmarked police car pulls up across the street and I start walking across to meet him. Cop gets out and meets me halfway across the street. And after identifying who I was, he said those those three words that absolutely changed my life. He just looked me in the eye and he said, Colleen is dead. Mm. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. Um, so yeah, that was obviously a, a, a bit of a, a pivotal moment, a, a game changer. Um, for me and, and really sort of rocked my world and, and uh, sort of made me take a step back with, with everything is, as you said, I mean, I, I, I was living my best life at that point. You know, I, I had a successful business that I'd built over the last, uh, what at that point was thir- uh, 12 years. Um, and, and we were killing it. We were doing exceptionally well in business um, you know, I'd met this beautiful woman. We're doing wonderful. I'd been, you know, I'd separated from my wife in, in 2012. So I was three years separated and, and um, you know, on to, on to certain new adventures. So, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, the catalyst that, that sort of shifted my world completely. Right. And man, that's a very tragic story. And and so what happened afterwards, I think, is, is, is more important as well, because you changed. And talk, about, talk, talk a bit more about that, like the days or the weeks or the months that followed. How did you rethink and how did you internalize that experience, really? Yeah, well, again, it, it, super interesting when I sort of reflect on it. Um, and especially now, you know, sort of every, every day, every year, uh, I have opportunity to sort of look back and reflect and, and learn from those experiences. But what I realized at the time, you know, I had so many people that wanted me to, you know, people that know me know I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big shit happen kind of guy. I, I get out and, and do things. So I had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the justice system, which, you know, certainly failed her. She had done all the right things, had, had the, the, the restraining order filed all the paperwork against this guy. Um, obviously that, that meant nothing. Um, 
But when I looked at it, I thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order is really, you know, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound or a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. It just, you know, you're treating, you're treating the symptom, not the root cause. And, and I wanted to really look at, okay, if I'm going to dive into this world, if I'm going to look at how do we actually make an impact in this world, maybe a better question is how do we prevent men getting to this point in the first place? And, you know, so coming back to that, I, I like I, I talked about, I've been playing with radioactive material for, for decades. And, and for me, that radioactive material was the impact that emotion has on human behavior as a sales guy, you know, in my twenties, I, I, I started my career literally bagging shit. So I worked for a garden supply wholesale company and uh, bagged steer manure. Eventually I worked my way up in the company and ended up on the sales floor. Um, So I would sell wholesale garden supplies. And, you know, what I realized was nobody buys a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. They buy a bag of steer manure because they ultimately want that feeling that they're going to get when they grow that beautiful rose bush or that flower garden. So, you know, we, we don't buy the thing, we buy the feeling that that thing gives us. And I, and I realized that if I wanted to excel in, in a sales career, I needed to find ways to make that emotional connection with my customers. So, you know, realizing that we buy on emotion and justify it with logic was kind of that first step. And as my career advanced and grew, and ultimately I ended up moving into, into a finance business and started my own company. And as a business leader, I recognized that, you know, not only do my customers buy on emotion, but my staff, my team, you know, they make decisions based on how they feel. And so I'm a guy that likes to understand the why behind the what. So I really dove into the research. Um, Dan Goldman, Brene Brown, uh, there's a, a fellow by the name of Dr. Antonio Damasio, uh, who did a lot of work around. Um, he wrote a book called Descartes' Error. So Rene Descartes is a French philosopher who talked about, I think, therefore I am. So uh, Damasio's um, hypothesis was, you know, it's more, I feel, therefore I am. Mm. Um, so he talks about the fact that as human beings, we actually make decisions based on emotion. He talks about emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. So while we like to think that we're logical, rational decision makers, the, the, the reality is that we actually make decisions based on emotion. And, you know, this was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. So when I look at, you know, men in society and how we are actively discouraged from exploring how we feel, we're taught to bury, avoid, suppress, um, you know, if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions that we make, we have zero opportunity of living a fully awakened and purposeful existence. So, so for me, that was the root solution. Um, because I mean, frankly, emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. Emotionally connected men don't hurt themselves. Emotionally connected men don't abuse their partners. Emotionally connected men make better fathers. They make better leaders. They make better human beings. So that's where I shifted my focus to. Right. And then after 
the incident is that is that when you really thought that okay i've had success in business and now want to do something like you said it's 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 getting at the root cause of really you know you had these experience but i'm sure there's a lot of other people who've gone through similar experience as well and so is that why you decided to shift and how long did you really um decide to really like stop i'm not sure if you fully stopped the business and you shifted completely the other way so yeah talk about yeah, that yeah well it would be interesting if you ask my business partner what he would say cuz because so i didn't um technically i didn't i i still maintained the business um for for another almost 5 years mm. um i actually just sold the business back in december of 2019 ah. and colleen was killed in in october of of 2015 Okay. Um, so yeah, a little over four years afterwards. And, and again, at, at that point, you know, I didn't want to sort of make a, a big decision, like walking away from the business at that time based on where I was in my heart. Um, so, so I tried to sort of reinvest, um, my time, effort and energy into the business and, but my heart just wasn't there anymore. And, and, and it wasn't fair to my business partner. It wasn't fair to our team. It wasn't fair to our staff. Um, so yeah, eventually I just, I said, you know what, I, I I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done here. This for me, it was about moving from success to significance. Mm. Um, you know, again, I, I, financially, it would have been a smarter thing to, to, to stay. Um, but it, you know, again, I, I'd kind of done what I needed to do in that realm. And, um, you, you know, again, fortunately, I, I, I've been successful enough that it's, that it's given me uh, the resources to, to really step out. So, again, the, the intent was in, in December of 2019, sell the business. Um, I've been speaking professionally for 20 some odd years in the context of sales and leadership. And, in fact, talking about this emotional connection piece and how as leaders, we lead better with empathy. As salespeople, we can sell better when we make that emotional connection uh, with our customers. And what I realized is those skills that I've been teaching in a sales and leadership context are the exact same skills that we need to stop guys from being violent. Mm. Um, and it's just kind of mind blowing how, how simple it was. So, you know, for me, the shift was, it, it was definitely a bit of a, a light bulb moment. So the day after she was killed, I had a friend of mine send me, um, it's called a letter to Rachel, uh, by a fellow by the name of Ram Dass. And I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. Ram Dass. Yeah. Uh, so Ram Dass was a American spiritual leader from the, from the seventies. Um, he wrote this letter to Rachel and, and Rachel was a young girl who had been brutally murdered. So Ramdas wrote this letter to her kids and, and a friend of mine shared with me this letter. Uh, if you Google it, it's a short letter. It's, I've read it probably 250 times since that day. Um, so if you Google Ramdas letter to Rachel, you can find it easily. It's maybe five paragraphs. Uh, a friend of mine sent that to me the day after and he said, I've read this dozens of times. I found it really helpful. I thought it might be useful to you. And, and when I read it, it just like that letter changed my life. Mm -hmm. And there were three major things in there. The first he says, uh, and again, remember that 
he wrote this letter to the parents of a young girl who had been killed. Right. Um, and in it, he said, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And when I read that, I just thought, you know what, here's, here's an opportunity. I mean, I can curl up into a little ball. I can get angry. I can turn to rage. I could turn to booze. I could turn to something, but who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you're receiving. And I made a very deliberate decision that I was going to stay conscious and awake through this experience as, as horrible as it was, as painful as it was, it would have been disrespectful for me not to fully embrace that experience. And the second thing he said in the letter that really spoke to me was our rational minds will never understand, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. Mm. And again, I can't tell you how many times I just said, why, 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 why her, why her, why now, why, 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 why? And again, I mean, there's just, there is no rational answer, mm. but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And then the last piece, and, and maybe the most powerful, was he said in that letter, now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. And again, that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I had so many well-meaning friends surround me, pat me on the back, and they'd, they'd tell me without fail, they'd tell me, be strong, Mike, be strong. And I thought, you know, fuck. I don't want to be strong. I wanted to curl up into a little ball and I wanted to cry like a baby. And, you know, again, I love them for their intention, but it just makes me sad that our Western culture's version of strength is about avoiding burying or, or suppressing those difficult emotions. True strength is about having the courage to, to what I call soar, slow down, open up, let those feelings come up, accept what's there so that we can reconnect with our inner self. That's what takes courage. That's what takes strength. It, it's not about burying, avoiding, or suppressing. It's about learning to just sit with those feelings and observe them and, and, and sort of, you know, poke at them with wonder and curiosity and, and learn from them what we can. So for me, that was, that was a monumental shift just being able to accept that I couldn't change what happened and that as horrific as that was, this was a gift she had given me. And, and, and who was I to squander that? Who was I to squander that? So, yeah, it was really about stepping into that pain and, and finding a way to turn that pain into purpose. That's... Um... I think that carries a very powerful message too. And you mentioned uh, about men being taught to not be intimate with their own feelings. Yes. And that happens a lot. I think all over the world, not just in the West too, because I've been brought up in, in Pakistan and there's not a lot of um, guidance on, you know, dealing with emotions. The same thing about, you know, Oh, you're a guy. Um, you know, just man up or be a man or stop being or, or stop uh, being so vulnerable or so weak. And, and it's, it's almost these emotions are, are, are correlation, correlated with weakness, right? Being the, yeah. the, the vulnerable or even 
um, you know, the fact that you have some feminine qualities is considered as a weakness, but your work is the opposite of that. You're, you're trying to re-educate men in that way that actually having emotions and being vulnerable is a sign of strength. And even if uh, you people or society calls these qualities feminine, which they are, they are, they are strength. And I think that's really powerful work and it's really, really needed today. Yeah. Well, it's super interesting because, because you're right. And especially when I speak to guys, you know, I can talk about empathy and compassion and, and some of these things that most would equate to the more feminine, the softer and guys don't typically get excited about that. If there's something that you really want to do and you don't have a conversation about it with someone who's actually done it, it's going to be a very difficult path. And that's something that I've learned through my experiences, you know, of writing a best-selling book, of starting and failing at a business, of starting this podcast and learning how to interview and be interviewed on other podcasts. And so I want to tell you that I had help. I had a lot of help to get to where I am today. And I want to offer that back to you. Everything that I've learned through my experiences, hundreds of hours of personal development and having something in mind and actually going out and doing it, I want to offer that back to you. So if there's something that you really want to do and you think I can help you out with that, reach out to me and book this 30-minute call. It's absolutely free. There's no commitment and I'm not going to sell you anything here. All I'm doing is seeing if there's any way I can add as much value to your life as I can. So if you're interested in that, click that link and let's start talking about your dreams. But when I can equate that back to performance, mm. business leadership, and how that actually makes you excel or can, that's when they get excited. So, so that's kind of, you know, I almost take a, 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 like a Trojan horse type approach to it. Uh, from a leadership perspective, I mean, let's talk about, you know, you've got an employee at the office that's underperforming. There's a couple of different ways you can handle that. I mean, you can handle that with sort of your stereotypical dictatorial leadership style. Moin, what are you doing, man? You, like, you're dropping the ball. Shit, dude, what is going on? I know you can perform better than this. What the hell is going on? You need to pick up your socks, get with it. Mm-hmm. So that's one approach. Or, or alternatively, I could come at you and say, hey, Moin, look, dude, I know you're better than this. Like, I've seen you do better than this. What's going, what's going on in your life right now, man? Is, 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 there something, is there something I can help you with? What's going on? You know, and I approach it with empathy rather than, you know, again, aggression or, or that pick up your socks kind of, kind of approach. And I can assure you, like, what are you more likely to get excited about showing up to work for the next day? Um, I think that second approach is far more effective than the first. And, you know, when we can look at it through that lens, you know, that's where, again, it starts with this looking at self first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I may be frustrated because, you know, our numbers are down as a business owner. We may be, maybe we're in trouble because our numbers are down. So my <clears throat> reaction to you underperforming may actually come from a place of my own insecurity, my own anxiety, my own worry. And if I don't understand that, then I'm going to show up and I'm probably going to yell at you because I think that's the way to do it. Whereas if I can start internally and say, okay, look, Mike, you're stressed out because you know you got 50 employees that you've got to meet payroll for. 
I can't afford to have Moyne underperforming because we need everybody toe on the line. Mm. But understand that this anger, this frustration, this comes from, from your insecurity. So now that I'm aware of that, I've slowed down, I've taken that pause. Now I can make the decision, okay, so what's my best bet to get him to perform for us as an organization? Mm. Is it to yell at him or is it to have some empathy? And I think for the most part, you would agree that, you know, with, with empathy, we can actually get more done. And again, that doesn't mean you need to be soft. That doesn't mean, need, mean that I'm going to make excuses for you, but I'm legitimately going to show up with empathy. And again, if you're legitimately screwing the dog and, and not doing your job, I mean, we're going to have a different conversation. But so, and that's where I, where I get frustrated a lot because I think when people hear words like empathy and compassion, they do. They think immediately, they think weakness. And, oh, what, you want everybody to have a participation ribbon? No, no. I want everybody to compete. I just want to make sure that we're doing it in a kind and compassionate way. And, and frankly, I think people perform better under kindness than they do under anger. Yeah. I, I There's a couple of things that I want to touch on here. One is... Um, so I wrote a quote by Dr. Mark Hyman. He was talking about loneliness, how you can still be lonely even when you're surrounded by people. So it's the quality of relationships that matter also. And if you're having that at work, that's going to boost your morale as well. The second thing is vulnerability in leadership. So the way that if you're talking about empathy and um, you know having more compassion for your workers and talking to them in, you know, as human beings, is that the aspect of vulnerability in leadership? That you're talking about okay yeah yeah i mean I, I think that's a piece of it but part of it too for me from a from a leadership perspective and, and vulnerability is having the courage to say like look dude i don't have all the answers i've got a vision mm-hmm. that i think we can all get excited about but i don't necessarily have all the answers so collectively i mean this is why i hire good people it's so that collectively we can come up with the answer. But I think far too often, again, leaders feel that vulnerability is weakness. So we start making these decisions when we actually don't know the answers in order to be seen as decisive and strong. And as a result, you know, we can easily veer off the, the proper path. And then we get committed to this path. And heaven forbid we go, whoa, whoa, whoa geez, dude, we need to back up a little bit because maybe I fucked up and made the wrong decision. But as leaders being able to say that, it, 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 it's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why, again, I, not to talk a ton of politics, and I'm not a big fan of our, our, our current leadership, generally speaking. But one of the things that I did appreciate early in the pandemic when they, they started with the, I think, um, the, the wage subsidy piece, and it started very low. And then there was a lot of backlash and very quickly they turned that around and, and increased that. And again, that was a, okay, we were wrong. We made a mistake. We need to adjust. And so often leaders will not do that because again, they need to be seen as strong and decisive. Uh, but again, sometimes, sometimes the most strength you can have is to be able to say, you know what? I made a mistake. You guys are right. Maybe we need to pivot a little bit. Maybe we need to adjust. Maybe we need to change. 
And, you know, that just does so many different things. It builds trust in the organ in your organization. It creates safety. So somebody can come forward and say, Hey, you know what, Mike, I know you decided we're going down this path, but as I'm watching us travel down this path, I see X, Y, and Z. And I'm wondering if maybe we shouldn't take a left turn here because this could be problematic. So when, when your team knows that you're willing to have those conversations and you've created that safety, that's when they can all rise and you will actually get the best out of them. Because again, if, if, if you've just got a dictator at the helm, um, you know, maybe they get it right. Uh, but probably not every time. Whereas if you've got a collective as an organization that knows they've, they've got the safety to be able to have those conversations. And again, at the end of the day, I may say, you know what, as a leader, I hear what you're saying, but I still think that if we take that left turn, it's going to be problematic. So we're going to keep going. Right. But at least my people know that I'm open to hearing that and having that conversation. Right. And other, you know, other, again, it just opens up innovation. It opens up creativity. It doesn't stifle all those things, which that, that less vulnerable style of leadership really can. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out, and it sort of ties into all of this too, is process and outcome, right? And if you're focused on the outcome a lot, which is, you know, you want, you got to hit these targets and then you're dealing with your employees, which is the process in the wrong way, then there's sort of a disconnect. So talk a little bit uh, about that too, because right now we have a lot of social media leaders like Gary Vee and they're like, you know, fall in love with the process. But what what does that actually mean for for people who are starting up. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's funny because, again, all this new stuff, like none of it's new. Um, this has been part of what I've talked about for decades is you've got to be more committed to the process than you are interested in the outcome. The outcome is not in your control. The process is. So, I, you know, I, I run ultra marathons. So I run 100-mile ultra marathons. Um, sometimes things happen in those. I mean, that's a long way to go. Sometimes there are things out of my control. I went to New Zealand in February to run a hundred miler there. I made it 50 miles and I had to pull the plug because I ended up getting the stomach flu. Mm. Um, so I was puking and coming out both ends and, and, and just couldn't keep any food down. So there was nothing I could do about that. But Leading up to that, you know, the process to get there is, you know, you run a mile in a day, you run two miles, then you run five miles, then you run 10 miles, then you run 20 miles. And it's just committing to that process because that's what I can control. I can't control what happens on race day. I can't control if it's a, you know, 40 degree heat that ends up sidelining me because I get heat stroke. Um, I can't control whether I get stomach flu or not but I can control the process, which is going to give me the best possible outcome on the day there is. And that's all I can control. And and again, it just, it brings that focus back to the right here, right now. What is the next step on that, in that process that you can do rather than worrying about what is this outcome? What is this hundred mile journey look like? Like, Oh my God, I can't run a hundred miles. That's, that's, that's huge. Yeah. But if I break that down to, you know, what is my next step? Well, I just, I just have to run the first 10 miles to that first aid station. I can, I can run 10 miles all day long. That's easy. 
Um, so, so yeah, that, that committing to the process is huge. Um, yeah, I've got all kinds of directions we could go with that as, as far as defining your process, understanding your process, but committing to the process is, is absolutely critical because that's all you can control. Right. Those little things that you do each and every single day. Yeah, I think um, part of it is also looking at the person you're becoming while you're trying to go to your goals. Yes. And so if I, if I, if I look at it myself and, and if I'm working on a certain project, you know, if, if I have a goal, it's like, okay, I've got to get this business up and running, you know, by this and then, but the things that I'm doing in between, which is, you know, being eager to learn, being uh, open to asking for help, reaching out, though, that's the process that's making me a person that's going to be a good fit for that role. Even if it, that outcome doesn't really happen, but maybe there's something different that's going to happen. And what I've learned through the process I can apply later on to other projects as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about focusing more on who you are rather than what you have. And for me, you know, I talk about that in the book. One of my, the favorite things I, I talk about is, you know, they can take away what you have, but they can never take away who you are. So focus on becoming more, not having more. And you're right. When you sort of commit to that process of development, you focus on the being rather than the doing what happens happens. But at the end of the day, you still become that better person so that, yeah, when that next opportunity comes up, you're ready for it. So it, this is one of the reasons why I, I completely stopped setting goals. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of language. So I stopped setting goals and instead I set values. I set intentions and then I said milestones hmm. because again, when we get focused on the goal, we focused on the outcome. We can often do things that compromise who we want to be. So, you know, if, if my value is integrity and, and wholeness and, but my goal is to make a hundred grand a year or have a million bucks in the bank or, or whatever that may be. If I see an opportunity to take a shortcut by swindling somebody out of something, mm. I might take that if I'm not focused on the value. So if the value is integrity, clearly that's an easy decision because I started with my values. I didn't start with the goal because if the goal is all that matters, well, then I can do this and, and maybe it's borderline, right? Like maybe it's not illegal, but maybe it's questionable. Whereas for me, okay, this questionable, questionable activity is going to get me to the goal, guaranteed. But if it's not in alignment with my values, that's a non-starter. Yeah. So I don't even have to think about it. I don't even have to debate it. It just, it starts with values. And then intentions are, are much more, um, they're a little harder to, to sort of grasp. It's like grasping at clouds, but it's how do I want to show up in this world? Who do I want to be in this world? So one of my intentions this year is to make every conversation I have, have the possibility of being a life-changing conversation, mm. whether that be for me or whether that be for you. But when I show up with that as my intention, rather than my intention to be, I'm going to convey as much wisdom and knowledge that I have to Moyne as possible, as opposed to when I show up, 
is how, what's my best opportunity to make this a life-changing conversation? One of my other intentions this year is to be bold. Um, humility is one of those values for me that's very high. But as a, a speaker, as an author, and you know, as you well know, as a podcaster, you've got to self-promote. Mm-hmm. So there's that balance of being bold and understanding your value, combining that with humility. And in, sometimes in the past, I've, I've let that humility side overtake that, the bold side. So, so one of my intentions this year is to be bold. And then, of course, my, milestones are, are much more akin to your typical goals. Right. So again, if I want to, if a milestone was to make a hundred grand in a year, great. That's what I want to do. If I want to make a million bucks in a year, great. That's a milestone. If I, you know, if I start with my values and my intentions, whether or not I hit that milestone or not really doesn't matter. Cause as you said, I'm going to become a better man mm. sticking to those values, sticking to those intentions while I pursue that milestone. Mm. And, and the reality is the outcome doesn't matter anymore because I become a better person in the process. Exactly. I love it. Um, so we can get into a couple more things here, but I think we're short on time. So I have, I have a couple of questions lined up. One is about the shirt you're wearing. Uh-huh. Hashtag beautiful shit happen. And when I heard the story, I thought it was really beautiful and powerful. So if you want to share that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, you bet. So one of the things that uh, Colleen and I used to do is we'd have these deep philosophical conversations. And, and one of the conversations we had was on the subject of, of talent. And I asked her, I said, you know, wh- what do you think your talent is? And she said, oh, that's easy. She said, I make, I make things beautiful. You know, again, as an artist, a photographer, a videographer, a painter, a potter, she absolutely had the knack of finding the beauty in everything, of making things beautiful. And she turned it around and she said, what do you think your talent is? And I, I kind of hummed and hawed and I said, you know, I don't know. I've been, I've been successful by many standards, but I don't know that there's any one specific thing that I'm exceptionally talented at. I don't know that there's a specific gift that I have. So I said, well, what do you think my talent is? And she said, oh, that's easy. You've got a far more useful talent. And I said, oh, what's that? She said, yeah, you make shit happen. And I thought, oh, all right. As a business guy, I kind of like that. So there you had it. She made things beautiful. I made shit happen. Together, we were going to make beautiful shit happen. So my vow on that day that she was killed was that I would do my best to continue to show up in this world and make beautiful shit happen. So that's where that came from. That's powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that. And I felt that story too. It's, um, yeah, it's one of your, um, I think I already have a favorite story from you. It's this one. Nice. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Mike. So um, if you were to leave um, one message for the audience from the heart to someone who's listening, what would you say? One takeaway. So, so the, the, the biggest, cause again, I'm an action guy. I like to, so, so we can talk about this stuff all day long, but what do we actually do with this? Mm-hmm. So the number one thing is, and it's super simple, is to learn to practice the pause. Mm. Take that breath. Slow down. See what comes up. So again, I use the acronym SOAR, S-O-A-R. Slow down, open up, accept what's there so we can reconnect with our inner self. 
So yeah, just practicing that pause when, when life gets hectic, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, when somebody pisses you off, when that employee is underperforming, practice that pause. That's it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. Um, so before we go, what's, uh, what's the best place to reach you? Where can people find you, reach out to you, talk to you? MikeCameron.ca is my home on the web. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you go to MikeCameron.ca slash live, every morning at 8.30 Mountain Time, I do a, a half-hour live show. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I just rant. This morning, I just ranted. Mm-hmm. I talked about uh, why I'm done creating awareness. Uh, so it was a little bit of a rant on, uh, all right, enough of the awareness shit. Let's, let's actually, let's, let's make some beautiful shit happen. So, uh, so every more, every morning I I'm on at eight 30, uh, on there and, uh, they can email me as Mike at MikeCameron.ca. I'm, I'm always, always game to have connection. Yes, you are. I can watch for that. And I'll leave your, um, your email and your website in the show notes. So it's easier for people to find you. Well, Mike, this has been a great time, apart from that rusty start by me. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I appreciate your, your love and your mission and your intentions. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right, you're welcome. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of the Grow With Moon podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my show so that you don't miss a future episode. Feel free to leave a rating, a comment. If you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is the Grow With Moon Podcast. Once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.